Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another version of Grace to All with Paul Gray. So happy that you all decided to be with me once again. I want to ask how many of you have siblings? I don't. So I can't relate exactly like those of you who have siblings can. Now, my wife and I had three kids, so I saw somewhat of a sibling experience from them. And my wife has four siblings, and so I get to see a little bit of that. And two of our kids has more than one kid, so I can see it there, but I can't really relate myself. But I've seen some things, and I've heard some stories, some funny, some not so funny, about sibling relations. What's the worst thing your siblings ever did to you? We're going to come back to that in a little bit and look at how we can handle even really bad, the worst things that have been done to us by our loved ones, by the closest of relatives. Today, we're going to finish up our series on forgiveness. Again, I want to give due credit to Mike Zinker, who's really inspired me with this series. He's got a great series on forgiveness that's much longer than the one we've been doing here, goes into more depth, and it's been very helpful to me and to a lot of people, and I would encourage you to check it out. We've talked about what forgiveness is, and basically, forgiveness, both from the Greek and Hebrew words, mean to lift up off of something see what's happened to us, what's been done to us, as separate from the individual, lift it up off of them and let it go and release them of anything and everything that we feel they owe us because of how they've hurt us. That's what biblical forgiveness is. Forgiveness is actually perfect love in perpetual action, which is the same thing as grace. Now, forgiveness is not the goal. Love is actually the goal. Forgiveness is the byproduct. We've talked a lot about what forgiveness is not. And we talked about the different things. And if you just started listening today, I'd encourage you to go back and see, because many of us have been taught in different settings, in our home settings, in church, religious settings, whatever. We've been taught what other people and what religious systems believe forgiveness is. And for a large portion of that stuff, it's not true. And it can be very hurtful. Forgiveness is not what many of us have come to think of it. See, any relationship involving emotions on any level creates an environment of expectation to one degree or another, and a potential of a letdown scenario attached to someone who we've chosen to forgive in a relationship, that potential for a letdown is very significant. If that person is somebody whom we have regular contact with, that has not responded positively to our overtures and to our forgiveness, or who has not reciprocated forgiveness in any way, then we've been set up for a huge, possibly everyday reoccurrence of being hurt again. So how do you deal with that kind of a scenario? Well, the answer is not easy. 
the harsh truth is we may need to sever some emotional attachments with people. It may be temporary. It may be permanent. But we've got to make a conscious effort to emotionally detach ourselves from another person sometimes in order to be able to find freedom and forgiveness, freedom that is being constantly trampled on. Can emotional well-being be restored? Yes, but it won't always happen here on this earth. And we want to be careful not to do it until it's safe to do so. The timing would be dependent on the health of the relationship in question. We can't let ourselves become emotionally attached again and again and again until the volatility of the relationship keeps going on. We've got to stop that at some time. It does take time. Sometimes a short time, sometimes a long time. But I'm coming to see that the process of disconnecting the emotional attachment is an effective way of dealing with an ongoing issue. That an issue that we're in relationship with somebody that we can't just easily walk away from. It's not an easy thing to do or go through, but it may be the only solution to a volatile situation. Then when it's safe to do so, we can talk to the other person clearly and respectfully about the specific behavior that's causing harm, show them how it's hurting us, seek to be understood and to understand, and ask for change. If the other person hears us and is willing to pursue change and work together, and sometimes you both need to get whatever help we can from a good counselor, then that's great. If not, well, that's when we talk about the need for healthy boundaries to separate ourselves from harmful behavior. Whether the other person stops or not, we may have continued contact with that person on some level even after we've forgiven them again and again and again. In those moments, we can find ourselves reliving the hurt and needing to process our feelings and forgive again and again. God knows what people need and how best to intervene. And in his wisdom, he blends justice and mercy. And in the end, we can absolutely know that he's working everything out for the best for all of us and everything will be put right. Now, again, as I mentioned, sometimes we're going to need to go to a good counselor individually or if in a marriage together. And it's not a weakness to go to counseling. It's a sign of strength. Only the very weak and very selfish people refuse to go to a good counselor. And again, we want to do that seeking to understand and to be understood. Now, Leaving this to God, for me, giving it to God, is a big part of forgiveness. Sometimes I need to do it again and again if I cross paths with someone who has hurt me and I find myself reminded of the offense. Finding forgiveness and forging a new relationship with those who have wounded us is very important, but we can only do as much as possible on our part. Exiting a key relationship in order for our own well-being, sometimes is necessary, at least for a while. In order for relationships to function, we've got to remember that we have already chosen forgiveness and God is helping us, but we're never called to put ourselves continually in a position of being harmed over and over again. We have to set some boundaries, and our self-care and self-preservation have to be taken seriously. We also have to accept that we're not responsible for the other person's reaction or acceptance or change. Having said all that, I want to talk about just a couple of other things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not the same thing as excusing or toleration. Like if you've got a two-year-old and your two-year-old bites you, 
if you love them, you're going to teach them to stop biting you. You're not going to excuse it or let them continue to do it. We forgive an alcoholic, someone that's living with us maybe, but we're not going to give them liquor. We're not going to drink around them. We're going to confront the pattern. An abusive victim forgives their abuser, but at the same time, you know, if it's happening and it's physically abusive, we got to call the police and refuse to be hurt and live in a continual pattern of that. God constantly forgives and always disciplines the ones that he loves. And we have to let him show us what that means in any given situation. This is all not easy, is it? It's not a cut and dried formula. It is cut and dried, though, to listen to the Holy Spirit of Christ in us and let the Holy Spirit show us what to do. King David wrote this in Psalm 133, verses 4 and 3. Lord, if you measured us and marked us with our sins, who would ever have their prayers answered? But your forgiving love is what makes you so wonderful. No wonder you are loved and worshipped. God does that for us, and will do that as us with other people. We can't do it on our own. Forgiveness is who we are, not so much as what we do. Now, we've talked about why forgive, and we've learned a myriad of things. The overarching thing is it's for our benefit, (laughs) because until we forgive, we are a prisoner of unforgiveness. We talked about what extent we are forgiven by God, totally, completely, past, present, and future, anything and everything. And, of course, the real key is where do we get the actual power to forgive from God, from Christ in us? Forgiveness is for our benefit. The blessings we get are a result of forgiveness. The goal of forgiveness is not to forgive. The goal of forgiveness is to love. Perfect love is forgiveness. Then the results come. And there are a myriad of positive results of forgiveness. First of all, we're set free from the prison of unforgiveness. We literally become powerful. When we forgive, we become powerful. We are powerful. We're healed. We have peace. We have joy. We have a sense of well-being. We have no fear. We have a much higher vibration. If we look at the quantum example, quantum spirituality, we just feel good. And in the process, we attract other people, and we're able to function better in society. This is all to our benefit. Now, it may benefit other people around us when we do that. That, of course, is up to them. All right, here's the first major example of sibling abuse and godly forgiveness in Scripture. Many of you know the story of Joseph, Joseph with the coat of many colors. He was one of 12 brothers. He was the favorite of his dad. He knew that. His dad told him and his brothers that, which was not a good example of good parenting. He had dreams about his brothers. He was the youngest, and he had dreams about all of his brothers eventually bowing down to him and serving him. He told them that. That didn't go over well either. So they orchestrated it, so they got him out in the desert away from home. They were going to kill him, but then they decided, well, why kill him? Let's make some money off of him. So They took his multicolored robe, took everything that he had, and they sold him to some people from Egypt as a slave. Joseph goes to Egypt. They go back and tell their dad that, uh, unfortunately, a, a wild animal killed him. Well, their dad's, you know, distraught. They've got the money they got, and they got rid of this dreamer, and so they feel like everything's worked out. Joseph, being sold into slavery 
by his brothers, his closest relatives other than his parents, gets taken to Egypt, where indeed he does become a slave. Now, God is with him. He prospers. Then some circumstances happen. He gets thrown in prison. He stays there for quite a while. Eventually, he gets out and rises to the number two man in all of Egypt, which was arguably the most powerful nation in the world at the time. He becomes second only to the Pharaoh. During that time, a famine happens where his 11 brothers and his dad, who's still alive, where they live. And they have to, because of Joseph's relationship with the Lord and hearing from God and being wise, he has orchestrated and led the Egyptians to store up grain and provisions and things during the time of drought. And so they not only have enough for themselves, they have more that they can sell to other nations. So unbeknownst, his brothers don't even know that uh, even if he's alive, let alone they would never imagine that he was had risen to this position of power in uh, Egypt. So they come and ask for, they want to buy some grain, some provision. Joseph knows that they're there. He knows that they're his brothers. He sort of disguises himself. They come before him. And finally, he reveals to them who he really is, the one that they could have killed, wanted to kill, but decided to get some money for instead and literally sold him, depriving him of his family and his relationship with his dad and everything like that. So they're scared to death, obviously. And in Genesis 50, verse 19, Joseph said, Now, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? See, he had all the power, all the motivation, and all the justification to punish them harshly. But Joseph chose to forgive because he listened to God. Revenge would have been easy for him. Forgiveness is always the harder choice, but always a more powerful choice. And then true forgiveness results in care for the offender. Joseph then told him after saying that, don't be scared and everything. He said, I'm going to take care of you and your families. He said, don't be afraid, Genesis 50, 21. I will continue to take care of you and your children. He reassured them, the text says, by speaking kindly to them. Well, that's the first greatest example of sibling abuse in Scripture and forgiveness. And it would be hard to think of any worse sibling abuse than that. However, there is one that's infinitely worse than that. The greatest result of sibling rejection in the history of the world is when we rejected Jesus, our brother, who was one with our father, our father and our brother, We totally rejected him, mocked him, made fun of him, brutalized him, tortured him, killed him. (laughs) And what did he do? He rose from the dead with a smile on his face, saying, I've forgiven you everything. It's not an issue with me. I love you, always have. I'm doing this, and I let you do this to me so that I can show you now what God is really like. I've forgiven you for everything, past, present, and future. I don't even remember your sins. They're as far as the east is from the west. I'm not even going to bring them up to you. They are not an issue. That's the greatest example of sibling rejection and the greatest example of love ever in the history of the world. Our God is the only God who forgives and gives grace and loves unconditionally. And, of course, there is no other God. Now, That's what we're called to do in Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Well, we can't do it 
in our own strength. We can only do it as God in Christ Jesus forgave us, which means is to let Christ do it as us. Only God can forgive like that. Now, the objective truth is, once we forgive, once we allow Christ to do that as us, then we have forgiven. We may not always feel like that. It may not always seem like it, but that is the objective truth. Look at what Corey Ten Boom wrote, and she was a great example of forgiveness. She said, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hate. It's the power that breaks the change of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Brad Jerzak says this, forgiveness is handing people over to Christ care because I can't be chained to them anymore. Now, I want to finish up now with what's called the forgiveness prayer. I'm not sure who wrote this. It might be Mike Zinker. I don't know for sure. The forgiveness prayer. I confess, which means to agree with God, I confess that I have been forgiven of everything by my Lord Jesus Christ. I confess I've been made a new creation in Christ. I confess that any unforgiving attitude I have is not a reflection of my true identity. My true identity is in union with Jesus, who is a forgiver by nature, which makes me a forgiver too. As he is in this world, so are we. Therefore, as an act of my will, I choose by the power of Christ in me to forgive this very day, recognizing, fully recognizing that my emotions may not reflect the choice I make this day. I choose to release the other person from my need to exact vengeance, my need to pour shame and anger on them. And by the power of Christ in me, I release them from the responsibility to meet my needs for love and acceptance. And I choose today as an act of my will to trust Jesus alone as the only able and true source of meeting all my needs. I trust this day that Christ in me and the light of Christ in other people, I trust Christ to do the work in each of us that needs to be done, and I surrender the outcome of this process to Christ, regardless if relationship is restored in this life or not. Well, that's a great prayer. Hey, I hope this short series on forgiveness has been helpful to you. It certainly has been helpful to me. Next week, we'll come back with a different topic. Thanks again for listening, and grace to all with Paul Gray. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.